apologize in advance because <coughs> my wife, that little tickle came back in my throat. <coughs> it may make me cough every now and then. So I'll try to <coughs> minimize the damage to your eardrums. It is good to see you tonight. I pray the Lord will bless you for being here. Uh, again, I'm not shaking your hands. It's not because I don't like you. But I'll just probably just give you an elbow or remind you that <coughs> I don't want you to have what I had. Uh, there's some things we want to pass around like love and grace and mercy. And there's some things we don't want to pass around and things like the virus. I used to go to Thanksgiving at my grandmother's. And uh, one time one of us, <coughs> I don't know who it was, showed up with a virus. Well, pretty soon everybody that had come to Thanksgiving was sick with a virus, including my grandmother. So after that, she would always ask the question, you're not going to bring me the virus, are you? It wasn't a virus, it was the virus. Never knew <coughs> what that was, but we didn't want to take it to grandmother. Take your Bibles, if you will. We're looking in 1 Corinthians. We're now in chapter 2. <coughs> We've been talking about the nonsense that's sense, and sense that's nonsense. We've been looking at how God has taken the things that the world would not consider to be important and uh, he himself has chosen to use. And we looked at last time how God chooses to do things in a way that confounds the world and <clears throat> the world does not understand. Paul is now beginning to get into the heart of the letter, but he once again wants to make some comments about what it is to talk sense. And, um, and, and so Paul is now using himself as an illustration of what he means when he's talking about how the Lord works. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to get kind of a, a personal response from Paul and, and his first approach with the Corinthians. Now, we read in the book of Acts in chapter 17 that Paul came to Corinth for the first time. He had just come off what we would call a very discouraging experience in Athens where he tried to reason with the philosophers and those uh, who were learned people and try to reason with them and argue with them and basically performing what today we would call Christian apologetics to try to reach them with the gospel and he used the little niche in the altars there that had to the unknown God and Paul said well this unknown God I'm going to make known to you so so <clears throat> that didn't go off as well as the Apostle Paul, I think, hoped. And then uh, he had left Thessalonica with a lot of anxiousness because he basically was run out of there. And uh, so he's very concerned about that very uh, young and basically uh, a church that had little mentoring uh, from the Apostle Paul. And so now he's in Corinth, and the people who were creating a problem for him in Thessalonica, they were following around, creating problems elsewhere. And, and I'm telling you all that to say this. When Paul is in Corinth, he's there for a year and a half. That's a long time for the Apostle Paul. He came into a very bad situation. He came from a discouraging situation in Athens to a, basically being run out of town from Thessalonica. So now he's in the most wicked and moral city I think Paul had ever been to. <clears throat> I mean, he is seeing things. It's, it's almost like when I took my wife to New Orleans. Uh, Suzanne had lived in Alabama all her life. I think one time she'd been out of the state to Florida. And, and uh, I'm going to seminary in New Orleans, and I, uh, <clears throat> I'm taking her to a world in which she has never been. 
Um, and for those of you who have never been to New Orleans, I'm just going to tell you, that's a world unto itself where it used to be. So when we got down there, uh, that was a culture shock for her. As she witnessed and saw things that, uh, you know, you normally didn't see around Weaver, Alabama. And uh, as a result, <clears throat> you know, we came to love the mission opportunities and, and the ministry opportunities. And uh, she grew to love that campus. I mean, she, she really loved the community of faith. Um, she loved working with the people. But, but it was a very immoral place. And, and there was immorality everywhere. There was, there was all kind of things to see. And people would come visit us in New Orleans and say, we want you to take us down to the French Quarter. I said, okay, I'm going to take you down. We're not going at night. We're going in the daytime. And, and I'd take them to a certain point. Now, Betty Drinker, she's over there. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. They came down with the smelters. And, uh, you know, if people want to go down to French Quarter, I'm going to take them to a certain point and say, have at it. <laughs> Paul was in a difficult place, but he stayed a year and a half teaching the Word of God. So when we read this letter and we read this passage, I want you to have that in mind because this church was struggling. They had come out of the world to Christ, but they were having trouble getting the world out of themselves because they were still living in the same place. Imagine being somebody who has trouble with alcohol and you go to get treatment but then you have to go right back and live next to the same bars and the same friends that drink and stay there. They will tell you, you can't do this. Here these people were with the same people that originally, or just weeks, months before, they had been involved with <coughs> religious activities that were very immoral, involved drunkenness and all kind of sexual immorality. They were involved in many other things, including the worship of idols and and so here they are, they're still in this city, they're trying to grow in Christ, but they're, they're still in this environment. And I think that's why Paul chose to be there a year and a half. <clears throat> but with all of that, Paul wants to remind them of how he came to them and how they need to relate to one another in the circumstances in which they find themselves. So let's look together in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, <clears throat> and we'll read through the first eight verses. And we'll see what Paul meant when he said, let's talk some sense. Chapter 2, verse 1, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with superior eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony of God. For I decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My conversation and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Now we speak wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are perishing. Instead, we speak the wisdom of God, hidden in a mystery, that God determined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
Let's pray. Father, as we examine this passage of Scripture for a few moments, I pray it will be your Holy Spirit that will be our teacher, our guide. Lord, you who inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words to the struggling church of Corinth, but a letter that was then passed from church to church to be read. Lord, the same powerful words are speaking even today to us, and I pray it will be your Holy Spirit who will speak these words to our hearts and minds, and Lord, into our spirit, into our will, into every part of our being, so that, Lord, as we examine this passage tonight, it will be clear what you would have us to do and how you would have us to do it and what we can expect as we are obedient to your word. So, Lord, in these moments, have your will in your way and may we see even more clearly how it is that we ought to conduct ourselves not only with each other in conversation, but, Lord, those outside the walls of this building and outside the household of Christ. Do your great work in this place tonight. We'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the passage of Scripture, Paul is telling them, I came to you, I did some sense talking. I was talking sense to you, and here's what I mean by that. First off, he's saying talking sense is knowing what to say. Paul said, when I came to you, I did not come to you with superior eloquence or wisdom like the world expects speakers to have. <clears throat> you know, it's an interesting thing that in our society we do praise people who have a oratory skills and abilities people who are politicians who are gifted speakers you know president ronald reagan was one of those people they call the great communicator because he had that ability to just get up and deliver a message and he could do so with such great power that people would just be captivated listening to him and there have been gifted pulpiteers that i've loved to listen to and i still listen to him on the radio even though he's gone home to be with the lord you never listen to Adrian Rogers. You just listen to him preach, and you'll understand what it is to be a great pulpiteer in terms of speech and eloquence and be able to speak. And there are certain individuals who have been gifted with that. You know, Winston Churchill had that ability. Um, he had the ability to communicate and to speak in such a way that people would listen. And so throughout history, there's been these great people who are very well spoken when it came to presenting things. In fact, some people can do it so well that they can say nothing and, and make you think they said a lot. In fact, I, I don't know how many times you've ever done that, but I've actually listened to people who can really speak well, but they didn't say a whole lot when they got done. If you were to melt it all down, it's, it's just like the meringue on a pie. It just melted and went away if you really dissected what was said. Politicians, by the way, do a great job of that. <clears throat> But as I look at this passage of Scripture, Paul said, I didn't come to you this way. I came to you not in great eloquence. In fact, I'm convinced that if Paul were to go around preaching in churches today, as he did in his day, he would not be thought of as a great preacher in terms of the way he spoke. But the results and the, the effect that he had on people would be mesmerizing because he had the power of God upon him, and so when he spoke, God worked. So Paul said, I came to you not in eloquence or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now Paul did speak of the ark of, of the um, testimony. And some of your translation talks about the testimony of God. And, and that was a key phrase. The Jewish Christians would lock in on that and say, whoa, whoa, we're talking about the ark of the covenant. 
Well, Paul knew what the Ark of the Covenant was. He wasn't speaking about the Ark of the Covenant, but immediately they would have latched on to the fact that God was, uh, Paul was talking here about something very special because in the Old Testament, the Ark of, of Testimony, also called the Testimony of God, was, was the Ark, that mercy seat. And it, and it spoke of the presence of God and the tablets uh, represented the, the, the Word of God and the, and the preeminence of God, that pot that was in the ark represented the provision of God. There was a rod that was placed there to represent the power of God. So, so all of that was incorporated into that golden box that the Israelites carried around. But the reality of that became the person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus, as he proclaimed Jesus to them, he proclaimed to them the, the, the fact that Jesus was the testimony of God because he was God. He was God in the flesh and and yet, as we look, his testimony was also about himself. Paul says, I'm, I'm not talking to you about <clears throat> just a box, or I'm not talking to you about some principles. I'm talking to you about what happened to me. And that's why I think the Apostle Paul said, I came to you and preached to you of nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Because when Paul came, he didn't come with boldness and courage that you and I would think that Paul would already have by this time. No, Paul had learned that the only way he could be effective was to be as weak as he could be so God could be as strong as he could be. You know, it's an interesting thing in the church today that people say, I can't do this for God and I can't do that for God because I don't have this ability. I don't have this, uh, I don't have this gift. I don't have this whatever. And the reality is, folks, that God uses those who don't have the ability, they just have availability for God to use them. Now, I've witnessed that over and over in my ministry. The people, to me, who seem the most effective in the work of God are the people who would never lay claim to the fact that they could do it themselves or that it is of themselves. In fact, quite the opposite, when I see people who begin to talk about what they can do, the abilities they have, that already is telling me much about the ability of God to work in their life. Because the reality is what we need is an understanding of our desperate need of the Lord. Paul knew this, and so he's telling the church, look, when I came to you, I talked to you in such a way that was not where you would be convinced by my ability, but by what I said and who I was talking about, and who I was talking about was Jesus. Well, wouldn't it be great today if the church could be said, or it could be said of the church today that we want to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified? I'm not talking about not learning things about the Bible. I'm not talking about not learning spiritual truths. I'm just talking about the fact that when it gets right down to it, everything we do, everything we say is about Jesus. And ultimately, it is a gospel-centered message that we present because it's the only message that we have. We've already seen this earlier in this, in this letter. That it's the gospel. It's, the, it's, it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified, buried, and rose from the grave kind of message that is the power of God to salvation. And the church really doesn't have anything else to offer besides that. We can dress it up. We can add a lot of other good things to it. But when it's all said and done, what we have is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul knew this in person. Remember what Paul was, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, out persecuting the church? And yet who made his appearance to, to Saul on his way to Damascus was Jesus. And he spoke of himself as the one who he was persecuting. And it was his people, it was his belief, it was his zeal to kill the Christians that had led the Pharisees and others earlier to kill Jesus. 
We have a lot of people today who think they have something that they can offer to people besides the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did. But all of us here tonight have a testimony of God in our life. If you're here tonight and there's been a time and a place where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you believed and received him and you were saved, you became a child of God, you now have a testimony. And it's the testimony of God because it's a testimony of Jesus and what he did. And folks, we need to do a better job and do it more often of sharing that with other people. Because the reality is there is absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, highly encourage you taking all the different ways to share the gospel, whether you do the Roman road, ABCs, the three things God cannot do, it does not matter. Telling people about Jesus, that's what we need to be doing. But folks, when you're encountering somebody one-on-one and you have an opportunity to engage them in conversation, they need to hear how you came to know Jesus. They need to know what your life was like before you met him, how you met him, and what he did in your life after you met him. They need to know what happened to you. That's your testimony. And Paul said, I didn't come to you with all this information and all this great stuff. I just came to you and told you Jesus Christ crucified and what he did for me. And he had changed Paul's life. And I guess one of the things <clears throat> we need to ask ourselves sometimes is, are we not talking sense to people and knowing what to say, and that is talking to them about Jesus because our testimony has gotten a little forgotten. We've just kind of gotten rusty. We've, gotten, uh, we've almost lost the luster of what it is that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And sometimes we just need to go back and revisit what it is that God did for us so that we once again have a fervor to share that with other people. But that's a, one thing Paul said, that if you want to talk sense, among yourselves, start talking about what Jesus did for you. Start talking about the difference he made in your life and start telling other people about that. So Jesus proclaimed Christ and him crucified. <clears throat> he proclaimed him through a demonstration of the Spirit's power, as we see in verse 4. And, uh, and then he proclaimed him through the wisdom of God. And we can do the same thing when it comes to speaking about Jesus. Let's move to the second thing. Talking sense means knowing what to say, but also means knowing how to say it. Now, again, today people would say, well, if you want to know how to say it, well, you've got to take a, a class on, on uh, preaching. You're going to need to know how to speak. You need to know how to do this. You know how to do that. And, folks, again, there is nothing wrong with any kind of training that will sharpen the edge that you might have in ministry. I'm not against any of that. Well, what I'm telling you is the Apostle Paul saying, I didn't come to you in a way in which I could brag about how I said what I said. In other words, he said, when I came to you, I came to you. <clears throat> and verse 4, my conversation, my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Again, I think what we need to understand as Christians today and as a church is that we don't have anything to say really to the world except the good news of Jesus Christ and how he can change their life as we pray he changed your life. But secondly, we need to understand on how we do that. We don't do that with our own ability. We do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why even if you take any kind of witnessing training, even if you take any kind of other helps and, and, and so forth in Christian living, it's all good, but when it gets right down to it, the only way that's going to happen 
is the power of God in your life. And without the power of God, we're like a 747 without any fuel. You know, it's kind of sad to go to an airport and watch them push a 747 around with one of those little, uh, I don't know what you call them, little tractors or truck-like things, and they're towing that 747 around over here and towing around over there, and you're thinking to yourself, man, that thing's got some big old engine. It can just kind of motor itself around because they do motor itself around when they come in and taxi around. They're pulling all that around, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's the way a lot of people in church are. They're, <clears throat> they're using the equivalency of power of a 747 being pulled by a tractor when God has equipped us with the ability to be completely energized and, and empowered by a spirit so we can soar like a 747 does when it's fully engaged with all of its capabilities. But there are not a lot of churches today operating on that kind of power. As a result, we're not seeing God at work the way God has worked in the past. I think sometimes it's because we begin to think more about how we're doing something, and it's not really about the fact that it's being done by the Lord. <clears throat> so Paul says he knew how to say it, first by the means of declaration, and he says he talks about God's secret wisdom. That's an interesting phrase because there's some people in that church, just like there were in almost any church, that were kind of listening to the Gnostics of that day, these people, and they were starting to come into the church and they were starting to declare that there were some secret things of God that could be learned, of some secret knowledge and secret wisdom. And so Paul to say, I'm speaking of a secret wisdom, <clears throat> boy, that'd get their attention up in a hurry. Oh, my goodness, he's got something for us. Well, they'd be sorely disappointed, sorely disappointed when they find out that what he's talking about is that he's just going to speak God's word and let the Holy Spirit unlock its truths in the hearts and minds of people. I'm going to give a reality check tonight for you. <clears throat> As your pastor, when I'm preparing sermons and when I teach lessons and other things, wherever the Lord gives me opportunity. I know that absolutely nothing I say of myself is going to matter, ever. Doesn't matter how good it's said, clever it's said. Doesn't matter how energetic I get. It doesn't matter. The only thing that will matter is what God is doing and the power that he exercises in anything that I do or say. Now, I'm telling you that to say this. That's true in every Sunday school class, every discipleship training class, every small group. That's true in any kind of ministry. It's true in any kind of mission trip. It's true of anything and everything that we ever put our hands to do when it comes to the kingdom of God. If it's apart from the Spirit of God being at work, it will come to nothing. Because Jesus himself said that, apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you break that word up, that means no thing can you do without me but God has given us his Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ and so we can speak God's secret wisdom that's revealed by divine revelation and by the way I want you to understand that this is uh, <clears throat> this is an important uh, understanding here because God had kept this secret it had been hidden verse 7 we speak of the wisdom of God hidden in the mystery that God determined for the ages for our glory but how did this become known because God revealed it you can't understand the Bible unless God reveals it to you. Now, you can read it, and you can know a lot of factual truths. I know when I went to the University of Alabama, they actually taught a class called Early American Literature, and I remember the professor wasn't a believer, but he said, I'm just going to tell you 
You're not going to understand anything that these people are writing about, talking about the early uh, founding fathers of our country, talking about the Pilgrims and the Puritans and the, all these others who wrote these early writings of American history, uh, literature. And the guy said, you're not going to understand any of this unless you go out and get you a Bible. And I wanted to say, and you're not going to understand anything in that Bible without God. <laughs> because that's the truth. <clears throat> it is the Holy Spirit who unlocks the things that are otherwise are hidden and reveals them to us. Because God wants us to know more about Him. He wants us to know as much as He's willing to, to reveal to us. You and I would not know God except He revealed Himself to us. Did you know this? I mean, had God not revealed Himself, you and I wouldn't have the ability to know Him. We'd know there's something out there maybe that we want to know, but we would not know Him except that He's made Himself known. But He has made Himself known. He's made Himself known, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, by His creation. People rejected that. He made Himself known through <coughs> visitations and visions and dreams and Later, through prophets, people rejected that. And then God made himself known through his own son. I love what the writer of Hebrews says, has spoken to us in these last days through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, folks, you and I, because we have a Bible and because we have the Holy Spirit who can unlock its spiritual truths to our minds and our hearts if we are searching and knowing that we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to do so, and He's willing to do it, and to pray the wisdom that James tells us to pray for, that God will unlock His Word, and the work of the Holy Spirit will be that we can both declare God's Word and we can be determined to share God's Word, not compromising the message, as Paul said in verse 2. He was not willing to compromise on the message. And verse 3 tells us he wasn't going to capitulate to fear, but rather he was going to declare and do so with great determination, these things that had otherwise been hidden. And then, most powerfully, is what he's already said. He's going to do it as a means of demonstration. How, what was that demonstration? Well, first, what happened in his life. Secondly, what was happening in the lives of those Corinthians. See, here's the thing they couldn't refute. People's lives were being changed. What they used to be, they were no longer. And even though some were struggling back and forth with some of this, nevertheless, there were those who were moving on, and they were still challenging them to come with them, and they had the ability to do so. We're in a day and time very much like the Corinthians were, maybe not with such the pagan religious experiences that they had, but certainly we're now immersed in immorality. You can't turn on the TV, you can't listen to music on the secular radio, you can't go to a movie theater and watch secular movies and not be hit with all of the immorality of our society. All the things that never were heard or seen when I was growing up are now just as blatant and, and things I never dreamed of would be spoken of or made known or treated as everyday and normal events in the life of people. The church is going to have a great and more difficult time, greater challenge than ever before, to be separate from the world and to talk sense.
But in order for you and I to talk sense, we've got to know what we're talking about. We need to be talking about Jesus. We need to know how we're going to do that. It's not going to be of ourselves. It's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to declare him, and we need to do it with the determination that we will not compromise the message, no matter what the world may think about it. We're not going to capitulate to fear because others are trying to intimidate us into silence. And we're going to do so with a demonstration that the Holy Spirit's at work in our life and can be, in the work, and can be at work in their life if they're willing to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> People ask me all the time, say, how do you know the Lord works in your life? I say, well, two things. One, I'm not the person I used to be, <laughs> thank God. And number two, the Lord has privileged me to lead an awful lot of people to Jesus. And that was not me. Not because I knew the scriptures, not because I knew the plan of salvation and knew how to share it. I do have that knowledge, but that's, that's not what gets a person saved. It's always the work of the Holy Spirit, taking his word, bringing conviction in their heart, and that person making a response of faith. And I can't do that. Only God can do that. And I've witnessed that over and over and over. So, you know, there's a, there's a sense in which you understand that when you're doing what it is the Lord wants you to do, if you're willing to talk sense, you know what to say, you know how to say it, then there's going to be a demonstration that God is at work, that you are a, a person who's been anointed of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Him, and your, your testimony will be authenticated by the Holy Spirit as it touches the hearts and lives of other people. And folks, all I can do in that, in that response to what Paul is talking about here is to say, just be like Paul. When you come to somebody, don't try to go to them with some clever way of getting into their heart and mind. I've often told people this, if I can talk somebody into salvation, somebody can talk them out of it. If I talk somebody into trusting Jesus, then somebody else will talk them out of it. But if God does the work, then it's a done deal. And folks, that's what we ought to be about. That's what we should be doing every day, just simply being a witness, a faithful witness, and a demonstration in our own life of the power of God and the ability to point others to what God can do in their life as well. <clears throat> well, one last thing very quickly, and I'll close. Paul's talking about sense, talking sense knowing what to expect. See, <clears throat> Paul understood that people were going to reject what he said. Verse 8 tells us very plainly, none of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who is he talking about, the rulers of this age? Well, I think first and foremost, Paul was talking about religious leaders like himself. He had been a religious leader. He had been one of those who was a part of that same group that had made sure Jesus was crucified. He was of that group that now was trying to exterminate this young movement of people who claimed to know that Jesus was resurrected and now had the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life and were speaking about Jesus being crucified, buried, and having risen from the dead. And what a dangerous thing that was, so dangerous that Paul, as Saul, was willing to travel all around the area to locate these Christians and stamp them out before they kept sharing this very dangerous message. Well, you know why it was dangerous? 
because it was working, because people were getting saved. And when Paul got saved, well, guess what? Paul got in on all of that and more. And now he was going to the known parts of the world. He was sharing Jesus. People were being saved. Churches were being started. Lives were being changed. And the world was being changed forever. You and I will not win Hartzell, and you and I will not get Morgan County to Christ, and you and I will not get anywhere close to scratching the surface if all we do, we do of ourselves, And we try to find all the quick fixes and easy ways to do what God has called us to do. No, God has called us to talk sense, to talk about Jesus and Him crucified and resurrected, and to do it in a way that is not of ourselves, but of the Holy Spirit working in and through us so that we don't have to worry about how good we did. And, you know, people say, well, brother, well, I'm afraid I'll just mess it up. I'm, I'm afraid I might say something and, and they'll just go to hell. Well, I got news for you. If you don't witness to them, they're going to go to hell. Just go ahead and witness and let the Lord take care of your mess up. That's the best thing I know to tell people. If you mess up, let the Lord take care of it. Boy, he can take it. Now, listen, I've heard preachers in the pulpit just get all messed up over names and everything. I'm, I remember one time I was sitting in a country church, and I think that preacher was about as close uh, to Joe Hoover as anyone I ever heard about getting things all messed up in the Bible. I mean, he, he was... <clears throat> He was obviously not very well educated. But folks, one thing he did, he preached Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and rose from the grave. You know what? People got saved. And all I can say is they didn't get saved because that guy had all the right answers or made all the right statements. They got saved because of the power of God. And God can take anybody that's in this place tonight. And if you just talk about Jesus and how you found him, how you met him, how you came to believe in him, how he's changed your life. That's what people want to hear. But that's also what God will use, along with his word. You have no greater weapon in your hand than a New Testament that you've marked and prepared for you so that when you have an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus, you can go to the Scriptures and you can let them read what the Scripture says and let the Holy Spirit take what they read and began to bring conviction. Overwhelming majority of people that I've had the privilege of one-on-one leading to Jesus was because the Holy Spirit was working as they were reading those passages of scriptures I was giving to them. Because it wasn't my words, it was God's word and God's spirit. And folks, God gets all on that. And people get saved. Not well, everybody? No. Now, a lot of folks will reject. I probably can't even begin to tell you how many times I've had people not only reject me, I've had people threaten me. I've, I, had, I remember one of the early times of my pastor, and I'm going to close with this, early pastor, I went to a door, and the guy opened the door and <clears throat> told him what I was there for, and he just balled up his fist. I thought he was about to get into a fight. But he told me on no certain terms that he wanted to talk to me about anything that had to do with Jesus or anything else, and I need to get... And he used a few Hebrew words out of his property. Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm like Jesus said, just shake the dust off your feet. But, you know, I never wanted to give up on that guy. If I drove by that guy's place, I'd pray for him. 
And I've actually had the privilege of coming in behind where other people did that and had that kind of response from that kind of a person that I ended up getting the privilege to lead to the Lord, not because of me, but because nobody gave up on them. People kept praying for them. And I just happened to come along at the right time, maybe out of ignorance. One time at least I showed up in an apartment, knocked, and the guy opened the door, and I told him what I was there for, and, and you know, he said, come on in. I've been praying for somebody like you to come tell me what I need to hear. I mean, he was ready. That wasn't me. I didn't even know that was happening. That was just a God thing. Talk sense when you talk to people. Talk about Jesus. Talk about him in a way that talks about how he changed your life. Talk about him in a way that allows the Holy Spirit to do his work. And know that there will be those who will reject what you say because they're living their life and they see life out of human reason. But genuine faith is going to rest on God and his ability to make himself known. I never worry about results when it comes to witnessing. Broken my heart a few times that I couldn't get somebody to make a response, but the Lord has taught me a long time ago, leave it to me. And sure enough, many times, not every time, not even most of the time, but there have been those times where the Lord brought that person to me. Let's talk sense this week. During this Christmas season, talk sense. Tell people about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that the Apostle Paul was faithful to you, and <clears throat> Lord, he didn't trust in his ability. But Lord, when he would go to a place like Corinth, he came in fear and trembling, knowing, Lord, that it was not even within his ability, even with the great knowledge that he possessed of the Scriptures, even of the previous experiences he had had in sharing the gospel, that, Lord, there was nothing about any of that that could do what needed to be done, that it had to be done by you. And he knew that. Now, Lord, I pray that we will understand that the same truth is true today. That, Lord, we need to proclaim you. You're the only good news we have for a dying, lost world. But, Lord, that we can share you because we can share what you have done in our life. And, and then, Lord, if we're willing to take the time to learn those scriptures. We can take them through your word and let your Holy Spirit do his great work. And, and Lord, we can witness people being saved. Not every time, perhaps not most of the time, but many times. But Lord, give us that courage and boldness we need to just be faithful, to be witnesses. Lord, to talk sense. Help us to do that every day. So that those around us living with nonsense can hear what is true sense and what is true. Lord, use us as you see fit to bring glory and honor to your name. If there's someone here tonight who's never trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, may they be reminded again, as they perhaps have no doubt heard before, but need to hear once again that you came to this earth. We celebrate your way of coming at Christmas that you lived a perfect, sinless life. You willingly suffered and died on the cross for our sins. You were placed in a tomb, but you rose again victoriously. And you will come into the hearts and lives of those who will both believe and receive you as their Savior. 
Tonight, Lord, would you do your great work if there's someone here lost that today they would say, yes, I believe and I want to receive Jesus. I want what Paul received. I want what he was talking about. I want what others in this church have experienced. I want to know Jesus and him crucified. Have your will and your way in these moments, I pray, Lord. In the name of your son, Jesus, I ask. Amen.